God will restore. If we'll but humble ourselves and pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, then he'll heal our land. Hear our prayer. So don't forget that, that, that process. Amen? All right. If you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just look at your neighbor and say, how you doing? (laughs) Or try to copy Don. Good luck. Mark chapter 10. We'll be in verses 23 through 31. Let me set the story up, the verses up, before we go too much further. In verses 17 through 22, a very wealthy man has just turned his back on the Lord and walked away. In verse 21, Jesus tells him how he can be saved. He had to sell everything he possessed, give everything to the poor. It would be an act of, of tremendous sacrifice on his side. And by giving away all he had, this man would accomplish three things. One, he would be getting rid of his real God, which was his wealth. Secondly, he would be helping those around him who were in great financial need. And then third, he would be storing up true wealth in heaven where moth and rust won't decay. So Jesus told the man to take up his cross then and follow him once he had done that. It was a call for this young man to make a public, once-for-all commitment to die to self and to live for Jesus. That call has not changed for anyone who's going to call themselves a Christian. That's the same call you received. It's the same call I've received. It's the same call he still sends out to this very day. Until the day he returns, it will be the same call. But when this young man hears what Jesus asked him to do, he turns and he walks away. He chose his wealth over salvation, his way over God's way, eternal death over everlasting life, the world over the kingdom of God, hell over heaven is what he chose. The disciples were no doubt excited when this young man might do what Jesus encouraged him to do because their treasury would increase because he had a whole lot of money. James warns against that in chapter 2 that we shouldn't honor people with money and treat them any differently. But we tend to do that, especially in churches. If somebody comes in and has a whole lot of money, we kind of whine and dine them just a little bit because, hey, you know, they're going to really help our offerings. You know, Jesus had a different approach. He never was concerned about the man's portfolio. <laughs> he didn't worry and wonder and hope that this guy would somehow begin to be a tither, an extravagant giver in his church. He didn't worry about that. And and to his disciples, he didn't worry about that. He was more concerned about his soul and where he was going for eternity. And so we should be 
concerned about that as well, should we not? But when he leaves, Jesus uses the moment to teach. One of those teachable moments that comes along in life. And so from these verses, there are three truths that rise. There's the truth about riches, the truth about redemption, and the truth about rewards. And so I want to look at all three of those. Let's start with the first one. Verse 22, I mean 23 and through 25, we're going to look at the truth of riches. Let's, let's read it together. Uh, or you follow me as I read it. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, <clears throat> How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. I hope you have your Bibles open and you're reading this with me. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and he said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now people want to argue what this eye of the needle is. If it's an actual needle eye, or it's an eye on the door that's in Jerusalem, it doesn't really matter. He's trying to show the difficulty it's going to be for someone with money to make it to heaven. And so he makes an announcement in verse 23. As the rich young ruler walks away, he looks around at these men and says that people who possess the riches of this world will have great difficulty. And the problem is not people having money. The problem is when money has the person. The rich young ruler was wealthy. He did not possess his riches. His riches possessed him. And it's a recipe for spiritual disaster. Look on the, look on, uh, up on the screen, 1 Timothy 6.10. Look what it says. For the love of money is what? A root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. Wow. And then verse 24, first part of verse 24, there's an amazement that arises. The word amazed or astonished in some versions is this idea of just bewilderment. It's a statement that blew them out of the water. These men were from a culture where they saw financial prosperity as a true blessing from God. The Jews had God's promise of prosperity and health according to Deuteronomy 28. The Jews were taught that riches and prosperity were from the Lord according to our verse that we that we're going to use as our memory verse this week in 1 Chronicles 29. Most Jews believed and still do believe that health, wealth, and prosperity were the blessing of the Lord on a life. Job 15. These men had the example of Abraham, rich Abraham, David, Job, Solomon. All their religious heroes had been very wealthy men. So it's no wonder they were amazed at the words of Jesus. Some old reformers equated wealth with the blessing of the Lord. Many in our day have that same mindset. Those These health and wealth gospel preachers. They tell us that when we're right with God, we will have plenty of money and perfect health. Anything less than that proves that we're not right with God. Some people in this room may think that way. When you have plenty, you say, the Lord sure has blessed me. And then when you go through a tough time, you... Often say, I wonder what did I make, what did I do to make the Lord upset at me or punish me? But when you think about what Jesus said, it really is an amazing statement. 
Which leads him in the latter part of verse 24 and 25 then to give an analogy of what he was trying to say. I mean, he senses their amazement. He clarifies it. And he starts out by calling them children. So he's going to simplify what he's going to say. And he's going to bring a term of endearment by using the word children. He tells them that people who trust in riches... Salvation will be impossible for them to find. It'd be like trying to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle. And he meant exactly what he said. If a person trusts in their riches, they'll not make it to heaven. And that was the rich young ruler's problem. His wealth was his God. His wealth was the focus of his faith. His wealth was his reason for living, and he refused to let it go. Now, you've probably played the mind game that I've played. Lord, let me win the lottery, and I promise you I will give you 10% of everything that I win. You ever play that in your mind? If I were wealthy, I would. And then you start to name off things you would do if you were wealthy. But what happens when you become wealthy? Well, first of all, you can't win the lottery if you don't play the lottery. So I'm not going to ever win the lottery. Okay? It's like going to the casino. There was a casino on this cruise ship. Really? Really. You pay Bawana bucks to get on the boat, and then they're sucking more money out of you in the casino. We had to walk through the casino so many times to get to other parts of the boat where we're trying to go. And I'll tell you, I would see the same people sitting at the same machine, just bump, 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 bump. I can't imagine how much money. It's amazing. Does that not amaze you? And why do they think that somehow they're going to strike it rich and walk out of there with millions of dollars? The only thing that can shut a casino down is a bald-headed eagle. That's what happened over here at River Spirit. They were building their new hotel and got out there and somebody reminded them there was an eagle nest out there by the river on that side. So the game warden came and shut them down. But I see they're building again, so I guess money is the root of all evil. <laughs> Often people with wealth believe their money can shield them from any problem, save them from any danger, provide them with peace, joy, and happiness. But what they fail to see is that their money becomes the object of their worship. Every waking moment is spent thinking about their wealth. How will I spend it? How will I protect it? How will I increase it? What can this money do for me? People who seek salvation in their own resources will be disappointed. Nations cannot be rebuilt by man's own vices. It can only be done properly by submission to Almighty God. And until we get there, the United States of America will never be what it needs to be again until this country goes to its knees. Founding fathers understood that. Oh, they understood it. Walmart will make a, make a cake of an ISIS war flag, but they won't make one of a, con- a Confederate flag now. How about that? Isn't that great? Everything that's evil seems good, and everything that's good seems evil. Why? Well, I think that sounds awfully scriptural, doesn't it? In 1 Kings, 2 Kings, it said that every, man, every chapter ended with, and every man did what was right. In his own eyes. 
Are we not living that again today? Sure we are. History repeats itself all the time. Rodney's the history teacher. He teaches the same stuff he's always taught. Why? Because they're not learning it. (laughs) And the books try to revise it for him. And being a Christian man, it makes it doubly difficult for him to do that, you see. Where's your trust today? Where is your trust today? Well, preacher, there aren't, there aren't any rich people in our church. I mean, we might have a few that are, that are okay and doing, doing what we're right. So what's this passage really have to say to us? What is everything to say to us? We may not have millionaires. I don't even think we have thousandaires in here in our church. Is that a word, thousandaires? Why not? It's kind of like Jack Franklin's word, terrifical. It's not a word, but you use it because it's a great word. You see, we're rich. And here's why I say that. 56% of the world's population, or 3.4 billion people, live in extreme poverty. They survive on an income of less than $730 a year, or $2 a day. Half that number lives, or 1.7 billion people, live on less than $1 a day. At minimum wage, as it is currently before it's going to be raised, the average American worker earns 50 times more than that. Yeah, we're rich. The average American spends 20 cents a day on cosmetics, perfume, and skin, and hair products, 50 cents a day on jewelry, nearly $3 a day on furniture and household goods, over $3 a day on clothing, over $6 a day gambling, <laughs> $7 a day on automobiles, and $9 a day on food. We're rich. Over 3 billion people got up this morning not knowing where their next meal was coming from. Many do not have adequate clothing and shelter. And most of us got up today with a good home. Plenty of clothing, some money, and enough food to keep us alive for many days. We're rich. If you compare yourself to some people, you know you might not think that you're rich, but the fact is you really are. Our financial problems like our debts and our payments, would be welcome luxuries to most of the world. But here's the problem with riches. Riches can become an idol in your life. Anything you ascribe worship to or worship to is your God. Riches can tempt people to hoard up what they have. There can be a strong temptation to think that You've been given, what you've been given is to be used to gain even more. Riches can bring false trust. You might begin to think your money can buy you anything, even salvation. It can't. I've served in churches where it had wealthy people, and they thought their money bought influence. Riches can bind us too tightly on earth, and tightly to earth. Having too much of the world's wealth can cause all kinds of attention and affections to be focused on the world to the exclusion of heaven. Riches often can lead to other sins. Some people with wealth come to think that there are no boundaries in their lives. Happen to catch a celebrity wife swap. Any of you catch that on TV? Celebrity wife swap? Uh, the other night was uh, uh, Ricky Nelson's son and uh, some other guy that's with Motley Crue. Both of them have so much money they don't know what to do with. 
And the Motley Crue guy, he goes out every night. He lives in Vegas. He goes out every night and just parties hardy. That's all he does. Buys drinks for everybody. Eats just extra thousands and thousands of dollars he spends every day. Doesn't even think about it. And he, and he says, well, I'm happy. Takes us to the second truth I want you to learn about in verses 26 and 27. is the truth about redemption. Pick it up in your Bibles with me. Verse 26. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with people it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So in verse 26, he recognizes their anxiety. And these men heard what Jesus said. They understood it perfectly. If you're rich in this world's goods and put your faith in the things of this world, you'll not be saved. You'll not go to heaven. And when they heard this, it says they were even more astonished. It blew their minds. They hear these words and they just stand there with their mouths hanging open, their chins lying on their chest. They're dumbfounded at what Jesus said. Their response is, well, then who can be saved? They have considered the situation. They realize that in a sense, we're all rich. We all have possessions of some degree. We all have access to things at some level. They understand that anybody can become caught up in looking to what they possess rather than relying on the Lord in simple faith. They hear Jesus. And it seems to them that He's slamming the door of salvation to anyone who possesses anything. But is that what Jesus is saying? Well, He gives them an answer in verse 27. He lets them know that there is hope. He tells them that men may find it impossible to break the hold of the things that they have, but God in His power can set any man free. If that rich young ruler would have obeyed the call of God, the clear call of God in his life, God would have given him grace to relinquish the old hold of wealth that it had on his life. See, we have the same promise. There's no way that you and I can turn our attention from this world without the Lord's help. And that help comes with His call to come to Jesus. That's the starting point. That's the starting place. Come to Jesus. John 6.44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I love that. And I will raise him up on the last day. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by the grace of God you've been saved through faith. And then not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. You see, God is able to help anyone break away from the grip of whatever it is that's holding them captive. If it's an addiction... If it's wealth, whatever it is, if it's boredom, whatever it is, God can break that grip. His Holy Spirit can release you to freedom that you've never experienced before. John 8.36 So if the Son of Man sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Free indeed. Free at last. Free at last. Praise God, I'm free at last. I think he said, thank God I'm free at last. He is able to do what no man can do for himself, and that save his soul. So how does it work? Well, a lost person needs to know his condition before God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. 
Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 1 through 5 tells us that if we'll connect with his death, burial, and resurrection, called baptism, then we'll also be in the resurrection. We'll also be resurrected to a new life. And we'll be also with him for eternity, according to verse 5 of Romans 6. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says that if we will, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conditional, got to be in Christ Jesus. If you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. You see, there's the key. There's the key. So is it possible? I mean, God can save. He touches a lot of different people and He can save them. Even the people who are in the dredges of, of, of society. How about Saul of Tarsus? How about Simon Peter? How about me? And better yet, how about you? Takes us to our third truth, and the truth about rewards. Verses 28 through 31, read with me. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 28, he talks about a consuming worry that he, they had and that we have. Because when Peter hears it, he speaks up, and that's what I love about Peter. He always shot his mouth off at the wrong time. But he reminds Jesus that they, hey, look, we walked away from everything. We dropped our work. We dropped our family. We followed you. They'd turned loose of all their earthly possessions. They'd given up money, homes, families, businesses, everything. But then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? In Matthew 19, 27 is what Peter said. Lord, you're saying that if a man gives up his money and follows you, you will have every, he will have everlasting life. We have given up everything to you. So what is our reward? In other words, what's in it for us? Is that not the, the clarion call today in churches across America? Well, I'll go to church because I want to find something that's good for me. It's a consumer-driven church. Got to find it. Got to have it. Do they have this? Do they have that? Do they have this? Do they have that? If they don't have this, we don't want that. Then why don't you go and help them get it? Why don't you come and use your gifts, talents, and abilities for God to do something great? How did this young lady find the Lord? Well, we took her to a church camp. And then the Holy Spirit took over. But we took her to church camp. How did she get to church camp? Her friend Tegan brought her. You see the process that God uses? He still uses us individually to bring others to find a saving grace of Christ. Now, the Lord had been planted in her heart earlier because when they called her mother, her mother said, yep, she's been thinking about this a long time. Amen. By the way, hello from Brother Russell and Sister Tanya Koretz in Washington, Seattle, Washington. They're baptizing eight today at their north campus. They had 19 families join on the 14th when I was there. I told him, I said, weather always clears up and you have additions when I come to preach, Brother Russell. I just want you to be aware of that. <laughs> had 20 people stay for his uh, new member reception. People interested in, in, in the church and in the Lord. 
Hey, that's, that's encouraging, isn't it? We're a part of his investment. We invested in him. Spent some time with him. And look what God's doing. See, on the back side of that. So it is now. We're investing in the lives of young people, aren't we? We're bringing in young people from an apartment complex where most people drive by. Don't stop. We drive in now and the parents all wave to us. Isn't that awesome? Our workers get off the bus and parents come and talk to them and parents are asking about the church and wanting information about the church. And some of these young people have never heard about Jesus. Ever. They are now. They are now. Isn't that exciting? You should be rejoicing in the Lord about that. But so many people are in it for, they go to church for what's in it for us. I feel like they're getting the short end of the stick if, if things just aren't going the way they want them to go. Is the service too long? Is it too, too short? Is it too hot in the building? Is it too cold in the building? Is it, is he preaching too long? Is he preaching too short? Is he, is he doing this or is he doing that? Are they not doing this or not doing that? Do they stand up? Do they sit down? Do they raise their hands or they don't? Do they speak in tongues or they don't? Do they even say amen or do they don't? Do they have prayer time? Do they have an altar call? We don't even have an altar up here, I was told. You know, if you can't have an altar call, if you don't have an altar up there. Yes, we do. It's called the floor. Just come up here and fall on the floor. That's an altar, isn't it? Amen? You can fall on the floor right where you are. In fact, the altar is in your heart, is it not? That's where the temple of God is. It's in your heart, right? It's not in this building. It's in here. So are you going to get that altar before the Lord? You see, we're looking for something. Let's get this right with God. Oh, some good things could happen if we get this right with God. I wouldn't have to ask you to give money. You'd give all you had. You'd give all you had if this is right with God. So you worry about 10%. Once you start praying for, for you to be able to give everything to God. Woo! Stop. Slow down. You've gone from preaching to meddling now. Give what? Everything? Wouldn't it be fun to have a Sunday? We set aside a Sunday where everybody brings their whole paycheck and gives it to the Lord. One Sunday. What do you think? I don't see anybody going, yeah, amen. Praise Him. Let's do it. That was last Sunday. Ah, I knew it. While I was gone, offerings increased, additions. And by the way, welcome Dave and Kim to the church if you haven't done that already. So glad they're, they're joining the church. That's awesome. Wouldn't it be fun to do that though? Wouldn't that be fun to try that? You ever thought about that? To bring a whole week's paycheck and put it in an offering plate. I wonder what our offering would look like that day. Just something to think about. Some of you are giving me some really funny looks right now. That'll wrap up on you about lunchtime today. Verses 29 and 30, then Jesus brings a calming word to them. He, he responds letting Peter know that God sees, God records, God knows what we do for Him. And He's going to reward us. He says, a hundred times as much, He's going to record. Whatever we've left behind, God's going to give us more. If I left family, guess what? I get a bigger family now. 
If I leave riches, guess what? I'm richer than I've ever been in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm richer than I've ever been in my life. To put it simply, we can never outgive God. Now, if you think I'm going to give a hundred dollars and get a thousand, don't limit God. He may give you ten thousand. <laughs> But see, if you're giving it with that intent, something wrong with your heart. You just give. And let God do the rest. Let God do what He needs to do. But look what quickly He says also comes. And why this would be a calming word, but it also comes. He says, and a hundred times as much and persecutions. <laughs> Okay, Christians, if you think you've been punished, if you think you've been suffering, just wait. 1 Timothy 3.12 For men will be lovers of self. Does this describe us today? Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. See, I could ask each of these young people on the front row, have you been disobedient to your parents this week? And they would all say, oh, absolutely not, Pastor. We have done everything, everything they've asked us. You can see the halos, can't you? But if you look real closely, there's two horns holding up the halo. I raised three of those. I'm watching some of my grandkids. Same way. One in particular. He's a lot of fun. But Jesus tells them to turn loose of it. Because there's things that money can buy and things money can't buy. Money can buy a lot of things. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy books, but not brains. It can buy food, but not an appetite. It can buy a house, but not at home. Can buy medicine, but not health. Can buy amusement, but not happiness. Can buy finery, fine things, but not beauty. It can buy a crucifix, but not a Savior. Do you have what matters most? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because in the end, it doesn't matter how much money you've accumulated. It doesn't matter what you leave behind. It matters if you have Jesus. And if you don't have Him, you're lost and you're going to hell. And then He gives a clear warning in verse 31. Those who are first in this world's accounting will finish last in the race to heaven. In God's eyes, it's not riches that make a person somebody special. It's their faith in Jesus. Matthew twenty five twenty one is what we all want to hear, is it not? His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. On the final day, I want to hear those words from my, from my Savior, from God the Father. 
Now take your connection card out. And on the back of your card, of course, there's our memory verse we always put. And then, of course, tonight, if you're planning to be at the park night, I want you to focus on that second one. Because I'm going to ask you three questions. And I believe with all my heart that if we will consider these three questions. And the card says, which decision question touches closest to where you are today? First question is, are you truly saved? Are you truly saved? What do you trust in most today? Anything but Jesus will ultimately fail. So if you're not saved, now would be the best time to do it. Because you literally do not know the day you're going to die. John Goodman, who passed away, good friend, he told me one time, he said, I, I don't do church. So I, I believe in God, but I just don't do church. He said, but if I ever did church, I'd come hear you preach. Now, he never did. But he sat down in his chair one night. And left. I don't think he planned to sit down in that chair and die. Just like you don't plan to die the way you're going to die. So we don't know. We don't know. So are you truly saved? Number two, what's your attitude toward money? Do you love it? You want to hang on to it? You're doing all you can to increase what you have and add more to it, or do you see money as a tool to be used in the service of the Lord? Our evangelist, R.N. Banjari, that we have been supporting in Mid India through Mid India Christian Mission, three weeks ago was was highlighted in a Facebook post by E.J. Law. He was beaten by thirty Muslim and Hindu radicals. He cut his head open, he had it stitched up, and he was sitting there with a bandage around his head and blood still on his shirt. And someone asked him, said, R.N., are you going to stop preaching? He said, nope, this just will intensify my passion. (laughs) So 30 people beat him up, split his head open, tried to kill him, and it's only going to intensify his passion. See, the money that we send makes it possible for him to keep doing that. Again, we've extended a part of us to there, right? That's right. Maybe you used to give and you'd have it in a while. Maybe your financial picture has changed. Okay. So you can't give that much that you used to give, so rather than give nothing, won't you give a little bit more? See? Try a little bit more. Try a little bit more. Try one more dollar a week than you were giving. Go off on a limb, go try five dollars a week more. You can't buy five dollars at McDonald's anymore. If you go to McDonald's with your family, you'll spend twenty, thirty dollars at McDonald's. Well, not us, man. We get the kids' meals. Okay. Great. Got it. But you have to eat five of those to feel like you've eaten something. I understand. Number three, what have you given up to follow Jesus? Has your faith ever cost you anything? Do you have any reason to expect that God would have any reason to reward you for 
your service. So I want you to take just a moment. We're going to, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And while I'm praying, I want you to keep your eyes open. And I want you to circle one of those three items. Where, you, where your heart is today. Again, I use the, this, I'm the only one that sees these. And so I use this to pray for you. But if you're interested in being saved, I really want to know that because I want to get with you and follow up and teach you more what that means. But I can't unless you tell me. But more than that, tell God. Because God wants to hear from you. So while I pray, you think and you pray and then you, you circle one of those and then we'll stand and sing our invitation song in just a second. Okay? So bow your heads while you're looking at your card. and Lord, I just want to ask you, to move mightily in the hearts of the people here and give them courage. The courage it takes to make a commitment. Because, Lord, we live in a time when making commitments easy to say, hard to keep. Father, we're living in a time when in America, being a Christian is not the most popular walk to promote. But then again, serving you has never been easy. You've told us that, but we've lived in luxury for a long, long time. Those things are changing. So now we've got to find out what we're made of and whether we truly have what you need us to have. But God, would you be close to the hearts of those that are circling on their cards right now, where they are and what they need to do and need to, need to make some changes for, with and for. And God, I, I know that you're going to honor that. And in your name we pray. Amen.